Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Startups Today podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Green. And in this podcast, I'm going to interview some brilliant and inspiring founders to tease out their insights into what it takes to start and run a successful startup. Today, we are sitting down with Mark Robinson, the founder of Rocksteady Music School, which helps kids learn to play an instrument in a very unique way. So without further delay, let's get started and find out what Rocksteady Music School is all about. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Ah, hi. Thank you very much, Jamie. Uh, good to be here. Fantastic. So, Mark, um, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your company or companies, I understand. Yes, it is uh, turning out to be companies. Um, <laughs> my first company is Rocksteady Music School. Uh, which teaches children how to play in rock bands in primary schools around the south of England. Um, being started that around nine years ago, um, spent quite a long time in the early stages figuring out exactly what it is uh, we should be doing, uh, getting product market fit, I suppose, is the technical terms for it. Um, and we've been spent the last three years really growing that, so we're now teaching thousands of children um, in hundreds of schools every week. Um, and uh, the new venture that I'm working on and is all to do with helping with the teacher shortage problems we've got at the moment and I'm looking into how to use technology to help get the right teachers uh, into schools in the UK to start with but hopefully uh, around the world as well. Wow, sounds like you're, uh, you're very busy. <laughs> I did try to stay busy, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, Rocksteady Music School, that sounds amazing. You're in, you're, you said you're working in hundreds of schools, teaching thousands of kids. So how does it work, um, how does it work for a school if, they, if they're working with Rocksteady Music School? How? Yeah, so the way it works is Rocksteady uh, come into the school for free. Um, we do an assembly and some workshops to start with to show the school so the staff can see what we do, so the kids can experience what we do. Um, and then if they like it, uh, we send a band leader um, who's a musician who's trained by us um, in our teaching methodologies in every week. We employ all of them on a, a full-time basis, um, so, so they're definitely full-timers. And uh, they go in every week and they teach the children that want to sign up to it in their own bands every week as a way of learning music that's quite different from the traditional methods of, say, um, you know, showing up to lessons, learning to read music, doing exams. Um, you play in your own band toward a, towards a concert instead. And it's a bit like, and you think about it, if you did, say, piano lessons at school, you probably learned the piano in isolation. Whereas here, if you do keyboard lessons with Rocksteady, from day one, you're playing as part of a band. So you don't really know what it is to play your instrument in isolation. It's only really in its context as part of a team uh, that you learn it. And it works very well it's it's very popular and the kids get a lot out of it that's amazing and i guess it's it's uh, it can be very much more engaging than traditional lessons perhaps yeah that's the idea i mean i started it uh i suppose uh, if i started at the beginning i i was a private guitar teacher uh, teaching from my parents living room uh when i was a teenager and i used to get a lot of parents and kids coming to me saying ah oh, my lessons at school are rubbish i'm not learning anything and so I would you know, see how they're getting on. They'd tell me they've been playing for two years and I'd have to agree with them because <laughs> they generally didn't know uh, how to play very much. And so uh, after this happened a few times, I thought, I've got to see what's going on. So I went into a primary school and got myself a job just at, at one primary school in a, in a week. 
and I promptly became one of those rubbish teachers because um, <laughs> the environment's so different um, and the challenges teaching there um, are completely different to teaching privately one-to-one. And so that was the start of really a, a few years of me trying to figure out how to do it better because the only ways that I could find to teach sustainably in primary school to start with were kind of the traditional models of let's do this page of the the workbook with the sight reading and then get on to page two. Um, but there were so many children giving up, um, not enjoying it, concluding they weren't musical, uh, which, you know, to be honest, broke my heart. So I thought I've got to figure this out um, for the sake of the next generation of musicians, really. And so we we worked on figuring it out, and I'm glad to say we're we did, and uh, we we continue to improve it all the time. That's amazing. So, what is it about the um, the environment of traditional school teaching, uh, the way they're traditionally taught music? What is it about that that is that doesn't work? Do you think? Um, I think it's a, a few things. I think uh, if you uh, think about a child or an adult or anybody who is inspired to learn to play music. Um, a typical eight or nine year old these days, they see Ed Sheeran or, um, or, or somebody else, you know, Emily Sanders or somebody on YouTube and think, I want to be able to do that. That's really cool. Um, and then they, sh- they show up at school to do their first lessons and the music teacher maybe doesn't know who Ed Sheeran is. In a lot of cases, um, this is what the, the child might find. Then they have to jump through the hoops of learning to read music, which is actually an exceptionally difficult, um, you know, cognitive challenge uh, for young children um, before they're allowed to play. And it's, it's kind of like saying you have to learn to read and write before you're allowed to speak. If we told toddlers that, it would be a long time before they could say anything. And uh, it, it, after six months, it's like this has got nothing to do with Ed Sheeran. I'm obviously no good at this. Um, I'm, I'm going to give up. So what we do is we just cut out all the bits that uh, aren't necessary to get to where the children want to get to to start with, and then that really gives them the motivation and the, builds their confidence in music to continue. And then if it turns out later for their, their careers or, or for where they want to go, they need to learn to read music or they want to, um, and they want to learn difficult, interesting things, that's cool, but... For a lot of children, uh, it's not the right place to start. Let's put it that way. That's yeah. I, th- I think that's that's. I really agree with that. Uh, I think you, you. It sounds like you're really re- trying to reduce this barrier to entry and to try and give these sort of small wins where the kids get, you know, they get excited by it because they feel like they can play a lot earlier than they might otherwise be able to if they had to read music. And uh, is that with that we say that's fair? That's totally right. Yeah, I mean, we've got obsessive. Um, it was written up on the wall about making it as accessible as possible and it's exactly what you said, removing barriers. So they really should be able to play a song they recognise within half an hour um, and that's five-year-olds, you know, they should be able to play it as a band and and that's what uh, gives them the confidence to want to continue with it. Yeah, that's amazing and I guess that's, I mean, I think that's really true for learning anything is to try and get these small wins early on. Yeah, definitely. It's what, what gives you your enthusiasm, isn't it? Absolutely. So how, how did you uh, originally learn to play guitar? Or who t- how, what did your teacher do differently that enabled you to, uh, to learn? I think I did have uh, lessons at school where I actually learned to read music, which, you know, I was kind of interested in because as soon as I started playing guitar, I thought I want to be a guitarist. So I thought, well, I'll probably have to 
use this at some point in my career. But generally, I actually taught myself quite a lot. I learned uh, bits and pieces from my dad, who's a guitarist. Uh, but then I listened to music that I wanted to play, and I figured out how to play it. And uh, bought guitar magazines. We didn't have the internet with tabs all over it back then. Um, figured out what they were doing uh, from looking at, at them as well. And yeah, just taught myself what it was that I wanted to learn. Amazing. So it sounds to me like you didn't really start. Uh, you didn't really set out to start a company. You set out to solve a problem that you saw, right? Would that be yeah. fair? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to be a musician, and I wanted to be a music teacher as well because I really enjoyed both aspects. Um, but yeah, I didn't set out to start a company. I, I just set out to solve the problems that were there in, in music education. So how did it go from you starting or from you solving it in one primary school to where it is today, you know, working in hundreds of schools? What what was the, the point where it became more than just you? Yeah, it, it was a little bit more complicated than that. So I, I finished university and I said, right, let's try and make music education better. And I kind of did have this intuitive sense that if I had some sort of brand behind that and said we were uh, a music school, Rocksteady Music School, then it would be easier to gain more trust and try and teach more people and, and, and all of that sort of thing. So the first thing uh, I tried to do was uh, teach after-school clubs in secondary schools, so age 11 to 16. I thought these kids could really do with some band workshops. I would have loved that. Um, so they're clearly going to love that as well. Um, so myself and a, a drummer friend that I know, um, we contacted 150 secondary schools and uh, put together some uh, literature about how it was going to really help with their curriculum as well and, and all of these different things. And we got out of those 150 schools, we got one meeting. Um, the meeting went okay. We It was a young, enthusiastic teacher, new head of music department we met with. Uh, he wanted to try some new things, so she said, yep, let's do it, and uh, we said, right, we're going to do it, and then there were three kids who wanted to do it in the school, which is really not enough to get started. So that, that was my first lesson, first total failure. Um, so then we went to a community centre um, in a market town called Alton in the south of England, and we advertised there. I remember walking around, dropping flyers through people's letterboxes, and then figuring out I was never going to get around enough letter boxes and trying to convince the newspaper to do it for free. But we did sort of an open day there, uh, myself and, and this drummer I know. And we got our first 15 students, I think it was, there. Uh, so we tried to run it in a community centre and then thought, well, let's try and run it in several community centres. But um, I hadn't figured out at the time that we couldn't actually make any money doing that because of the rent we had to pay on the community centre and buying the equipment and you know, uh, paying other musicians to be there to teach. And so then eventually we thought, well, let's try primary schools as well. Um, we were seeing quite a lot of problems with the younger kids. You know, their first experiences of music aren't good. Uh, so let's try primary schools as well. Um, we'll start ringing them and offering them free assemblies and, and see how they get on. And so we did that. And eventually... One of the schools uh, mistook what I was offering for full-time music teaching, like teaching the music classes in their school. Um, and as you do when you're um, an entrepreneur, you, you say yes to everything to start with. 
because it might get you somewhere. And this was, uh, you know, a, a big chunk of work for us. So I ended up teaching classroom music in a school uh, nearly full time. And in lunch times, I ran clubs and I started running band clubs. And that's where I really figured out this was a way to do it because the children I was teaching didn't have instruments at home and never played before, but they were making progress on a totally different level uh, to what I'd ever seen before, um, just in half an hour a week. So I thought, ah, we're, we're on to something. Um, so I spent a couple of years developing it from there, really. Amazing. Did So it changed quite a lot from your initial... Did it, well, I mean, how did it change uh, from your initial vision? I mean, you started off thinking we were going to be in community centres, then you progressed to, to primary schools. So it, it evolved over time, clearly, the, the idea. Yeah, it did, definitely. I think, um, yeah, because... It's so easy to say in retrospect, oh yeah, that was my vision, you know, to, to do this exactly as it is now. But I don't think, certainly for me, it, it hasn't worked that way. It, it's more an intention, you know, and the intention was to make music education better. Um, and, you know, that started with being open to teaching all age groups in, in all sorts of different ways. I mean, in the community centres, I would be teaching... Uh, you know, very young children, like five, six-year-olds, um, one minute, and then I'd be teaching a, a retired 70-year-old uh, gentleman how to play blues the, the next minute. Um, so we tried all sorts of different things, and it really stood out that the younger children weren't getting the right experiences. And when we went to primary schools, um, you know, it sort of reflected my earlier experiences that primary schools were a really difficult place to teach. So um, where the challenge was, I suppose, that's where the opportunity was as well. So then started focusing our time there. So, yeah, intention, let's make music education better. Um, and then you let that, you, you actually let the world guide you a bit more. Amazing. Did you raise money or were you bootstrapping this at the time? Bootstrapping. So, yeah, um, we started with, uh, I think it was about £250 in the bank account and use that to try and get some lessons and then use the money from those lessons to grow it and do more. Incredible, so. incredible. So were, were you able to do, you know, were you able to have enough, uh, you know, you were working as a music teacher at the same time to help, to help uh, whilst you tried to start this or was it kind of both the same, both interlinked I suppose? Well, I was working as a gigging musician at the weekends on uh, Fridays and Saturdays, like every single week of the year. And that's what helped to pay the way. All the money that we made from teaching went back into uh, growing it because, you know, we, we had to figure out how to do it better and do more, and, and that does cost money. Got it. Um, so, yeah, we also set up a, a band to make the bread and butter of, of living while we did it. So... It was kind of a, a six and a half day a week job for a good few years. Hmm. What was something that that surprised you during the the first couple of years about uh, yeah something some aspect of starting the of starting Rocksteady that surprised you? I think to start with, I found it surprising. I could put out something that I thought was so obviously uh, valuable for customers. But I wasn't communicating that value in the right way. Um, so it surprised me how difficult it was to 
communicate the value that you're offering in a way that gets people excited enough to want to come and, and pay for what you're offering. Fantastic. And how, how in, I know you, you mentioned you've got, this, you've got this new idea you're working on at the moment. So how, how involved are you with Rocksteady at the moment? Um, day to day, I'm, I'm not responsible for any of the daily operations. We have a CEO um, who I bought in, um, it's probably getting on for a year and a half ago now, and um, he's fantastic. He, he does a great job of uh, figuring out how to execute on the vision we've got. Um, really, my job is just to work with the management team on a uh, drop drop in basis. I probably see them about uh, once every couple of weeks to make sure the company is still going in the right direction. So I'm still re- responsible for where this company is going to go, um, but I'm not responsible for how we get there. If that makes sense, mm. that's that's down to uh, you know the the rest of the team, and they're doing a great job. Absolutely. How, how many people are working on Rocksteady now? It's forty six. Fantastic. Yep. Uh, so what prompted you to to uh, transition or sort of to your role uh, or reduce your role at Rocksteady? Was it you, you had this new idea that was burning a hole in your pocket or did you did you feel like you'd outgrown it or what, what was what was prompting you to move uh, to move or to reduce your role and to move into a new a new area? Yeah, I think really there's different skills required for different stages of the company and um, you don't know what uh, that's going to be and, until you get to those stages. So when you're first starting a company, really, it's about constantly improvising uh, and being able to be happy with a huge amount of uncertainty until you find something that works, you know, a business model that pays for itself to grow, um, a customer base that really like what you're doing and you're making a difference to them, and and that you can grow that. Um, that's the the early sort of phase, and then you've got to really try to grow the company um, so that it, it becomes a bit more sustainable. And then once you've grown it at a certain point, your job becomes less about looking out towards the the market and the customers and the people that you're serving, and more towards looking internally at your team and uh, structuring that properly. Uh, so it's like building the engine on, on the inside of the company. And so my job became less about uh, the music teaching. It became uh, not at all about uh, selling the idea anymore. Um, it became about um, the managing the internal team, leading them, and about replicating what we do so it can reach more people. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm much happier when I'm inventing something new than when I'm trying to make the best or, or grow something that already exists, even if I created it. Uh, so I recognized you know, my energy for running the company. Once it got to about probably 25 people, I thought, ah, that my job now is being the boss and managing 25 people and uh, developing them and, and sorting out what their needs are and I thought actually what I really want to be doing is inventing something new I think that's where I can add the most value somebody can probably manage and grow this a lot better than I can and uh, fortunately that turned out to be true I, I found somebody who is uh, much better at that phase of the company than me which frees me up to uh, add value inventing things again either for Rocksteady or for uh, new ventures as I'm I'm doing at the moment 
Uh, how long? So how long have you been working on this on this new idea? It's pretty pretty new, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. So I, I think I started working on it in earnest about July this year, which yeah, it's really new. It's almost like pre-startup. Do you yeah, know? Yeah, sure, sure. And um, you you normally have something, and sure. you, you try to sell something when it's a startup. So it's almost a pre-startup. But I spent probably about um, eight or nine months. Making sure it was the right thing to do, because and, that's important. You know, you, rather than just doing something, it's like figure out uh, that you, if you're going to spend the next few years on something, which you're certainly going to, and if you're going to put, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of hours into it, make sure it's the right thing. So, how did you go about doing that? Well, what I did was I've got sort of feelings, as a lot of people have, about education and the way it's going and how I'd like it to go, um, which is in a different direction to how it's going. Um, <clears throat> so I started, you know, thinking quite deeply about um, where I'd like it to go, and I started writing some ideas, I even started uh, writing a book about it. But then I thought, let's actually go out and talk to the schools, talk to the head teachers, and find out what problems they're seeing, what are the, the blockers to them doing their jobs as well as they could do. And I had an intention to interview 100 head teachers, um, but I got to seven and I stopped because they were all telling me exactly the same things. And uh, the number one thing they all said very quickly, because I, I went in with the question, if I could come back in five years and I've solved any three problems for you, what would they be? And the one that came out the strongest and first immediately every time was uh, teacher recruitment. Um, and the teacher shortage problem we've got, I'd really, that is the thing that's making education really difficult. Um, so I thought before we, um, you know, come up with our grand ideas about how we should be teaching children and things like that, well, let's actually help education get stabilized first and make sure we've got the teachers to teach the children um, before we go any further. So then I got thinking about how I could could help that problem. Fantastic. And so, uh, obviously, it's it's really really early days. But what what is the? I think you 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 slightly outlined it at the beginning. But what is the your current thinking about how you're going to solve this problem? If you don't mind sharing it with us. Yeah, no, no problem. Well, uh, teacher recruitment. Um, I should say first as well. You know, after I'd heard about this, I did some uh, more research into it and saw that one of the global goals. Um, that we've set for 2030 is to make sure every child in the world has got access to a good quality education. And uh, current rate of progress, it looks like it's actually going to be 2084 before we've got uh, enough teachers for every child in the world, um, which is just you know nowhere near fast enough. So the fact that this was a problem on a global scale really uh, made me think about it differently because I started thinking, well, maybe I could set up a recruitment agency but somehow just do it better or something um, in the UK but then I thought well actually there's a problem around the world so we, we need to think about a real scalable solution here. Um, so I'm looking into ways in which technology can help because recruitment is still done in a very old-fashioned way you know um, a typical uh, recruitment story for a, a head teacher is I need a geography teacher for my school in Nottingham say um, and then they'll put adverts in the papers and, you know, if somebody is in Nottingham looking for a geography teacher job, that's very fortunate. They might see it and they might apply. Um, but possibly your ideal candidate isn't in Nottingham reading the newspaper. 
um, or digging through the job boards on the internet to, to try and find your specific school in Nottingham. Um, and then after they've done that a couple of times and spent a lot of money on it, um, they'll then go to a recruitment agent and spend a few thousand pounds on getting that person placed. Um, and, you know, that that's quite an expensive, time-consuming, difficult process. And it seems to me with technology the way it is, we should be able to um, speed up the process and make it easier for schools to find the right teachers um, and for the right teachers to find good schools as well um, to, to, to match with because at the moment, yeah, the whole process is, is just taking a bit too long and I think that's important as well. It's, it's one thing having a teacher in front of a classroom but anybody who works in a school will tell you it's actually really important to have the right teacher in front of those children. So I'm looking at ways of using technology to help identify, um, you know, who who the right teachers for a specific school are as well. Um, and it, it's very, very early days at the moment, so we're just doing a lot of experimenting. Absolutely. And so what would you say has been different this time to when you first started Rocksteady? Or what has there been something that you, uh, that you thought would be applicable that hasn't been, or... What has been different, would you say? Um, what has been different? I think I've, I've got the benefit of having experienced it before. Um, so I can be a, a lot clearer of, about what I want out of it. Um, I'm certainly much better at um, finding the right people to work with uh, on this now. Um, I tried to do a lot myself very early on with Rocksteady, whereas now I'm, uh, I'm a lot better at going, okay... I'm not going to become an expert in coding, for example. Um, so I need to find somebody who is does have expertise in coding. Whereas when I first started Rockstar, it's like, okay, we need to build a customer database. Well, I'll learn how to build a customer database, and then I'd, I'd do a bad job of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'd a lot of time, and I'd also spend a whole lot of time with Rocksteady doing things that you know that I thought were really going to work, but then. I put it to the out in front of uh, the customers, and it wouldn't work at all. You know uh, what I thought would be really great, and what would even work with my lessons, you know, in a one-to-one -one basis. When I tried to replicate it and make it teachable for other people, it just wouldn't work. But I would spend like three weeks preparing it, you know, and <laughs> put out it wouldn't work. So now I, I test in much smaller uh, batches and and that sort of thing. I suppose. Really interesting. Wow. Um... Do you have any any entrepreneurs that you sort of are inspired by or who you look to as sort of role models? I think when I was, uh, you know, looking for uh, ways to develop, um, I read Richard Branson's books um, and I found them really helpful because he doesn't think in a, okay, these are the five steps to building a business uh, sort of thing. He's... Uh, a lot more open with it, which suits my my mentality. Um, you know, just has a few principles which I generally agree with about finding the right people and, and treating them very well. Um, and he's, you know, he's done exceptionally well in a, a very creative, friendly way, rather than being, you know, a Dragon's Den style authoritarian, um, angry person. <laughs> to be <laughs> uh, and and that's, um, you know, that that's been good for me to learn from. Fantastic. Uh, what 
is the coolest new company you've read about or that you are personally really excited about that you that you've read about recently you know um i'm gonna give a disappointing answer here and say that i don't actually follow much to do with the startup scene um so i i don't I tend not to actually hear about companies until they're pretty well established i'd say that if um i had to pick one tesla for me is very cool i don't know if they're still a startup i mean technically they've been around for quite a long time but they still behave like a startup in the way that they're really trying to push the envelope with their technologies and things like that but I don't spend a lot of time um, following it, I think. I spend a lot of time looking at uh, the people that I'm trying to help and trying to design things for them. And then when I um, am not doing that, I suppose I, I take time off and play the guitar or go running or something like that rather than following more, more startup things. Very cool. I also love Tesla. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, all right. Let, what about in in your context though of, of 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 education and schools? Have you have you other than rock steady? Have you seen anything uh, in the education space that you've been really impressed by recently? Um, do, do you know I I don't pay enough attention to it. Fair enough. Absolutely, as <laughs> being absolutely honest, <laughs> absolutely. which is uh, probably not the the best answer, but it's it's the true one. I I really focus on you know our our customers, um, the schools are trying to help, the kids are trying to help, focus on, on our staff and I, um, yeah, I suppose I put the blinkers a bit on so that I can, I can do that as best as I possibly can. Absolutely. Well, perhaps this has also answered my next question, but so I was going to ask about uh, productivity, how you stay productive during the day and if you have any sort of uh, tips or hacks that you use. I mean, one clearly is not reading all the startup news, not reading the tech crunches. Uh, what, yeah. what what would you say is uh, something that you, you do to help you stay focused on helping your customers? Um, for me, the most effective thing I do is I carry notebooks around with me um, everywhere um, and I write every morning. Um, you know, I'll often, at the end of uh, any given day, um, I'll sort of set myself some problems to think about, the things that I'm finding difficult. Um, and first thing in the morning, I just sit down um, just after I've eaten my breakfast and write for as long as I need to about uh, those problems or about anything else that's occurring um, in my mind, you know, anything that's concerning me or anything I'm excited about. And that kind of clears my mind and gets me ready to focus on what I need to focus on for the day. Um, other than that, you know, I also use a notebook to write to-do lists and, you know, look through them, prior prioritize them. Um, and I suppose generally when I'm thinking about productivity, I used to think like I have to get stuff done, like it wasn't a good day unless I got stuff done. Whereas and now I think it's about mentally framing it. So I try to make progress each day and if I don't get finished, it's okay as long as I've moved the needle forward. So, um, but I, between all those things and just writing about it every morning to clear my mind, that's definitely been the most helpful for me. What is the best book you've read recently, and what what did you learn from it? Um, Derek Sivers, uh, Anything You Want. Um, Derek's a really interesting guy. He was the founder of CD Baby, and uh, just his approach to building a company is really cool. I think certainly if a lot of your audience um, are reading, you know, the TechCrunch and a lot of the startup news. It can be 
easy to think that in order to succeed, it's about having you know this amazing idea, and then it's about how much money can you raise, um, and then uh, before you've even tried to help a customer. And uh, Derek really comes at it from a very different angle. I mean, he did essentially build a very early technology business, you know, in the era of the internet, um, and did it very well. And the book, you can read it in about an hour, but there are so many cool lessons in it. Um, I'd really recommend it to anyone. And I think you can actually read the whole thing on um, Derek's website, which is sivers.org. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd read everything by that guy. It's very cool. He's a very interesting guy, Derek. I've, I, yeah. haven't, I haven't read his book, but I'm definitely going to now you've mentioned it as well. Um, yeah, you'll learn a lot. Let, let me know how you go on with it. Definitely, definitely. So do you, I mean, I, I know, you, you know, you I've talked already about this customer focus. Do you have a vision for uh, your current project where you see it in one or five years time? Do you have a sort of, do you have a big vision for it? I think um, rather than, um, a big vision because I have tried the big vision thing several times, but the problem with having a big vision is it's wrong. <laughs> me. Because of our, our inability to uh, predict the future as humans, maybe no, some people are, are better at this than I am. So it's but, the intention that, like you mentioned yeah, it's before, the intention, and I think um, you know, for this new product, the intention is really to get the right people into the profession of teaching to start with, um, all around the world. You know. Use technology, that's by the by, it's not about the technology, it's about getting the right people into teaching and then helping them on their, their journey uh, whilst they're there. I mean, within the next year, it would be really good to have, be being useful uh, to some customers, to some schools and some teachers, um, have them using whatever we do and, and finding it beneficial. And then, you know, uh, from there, it's about let's look at what's next and how can we make this thing active, scalable, so it, it does reach the far-flung corners of the world. Fantastic. What, one idea I had for this podcast was to interview uh, founders uh, perhaps a year after their first interview. And I think that if, you're, if you'd be up for a round two, I think that would certainly be really interesting to hear how you've, how you've evolved your idea over time. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So just before we go, um, or just before we finish up here, where can people learn more about uh, about what you're doing? Do you have your own site? Uh, do you what? Where would you like people to go to read more about what you're up to? Sure. So uh, you can go to Rocksteady Music School site, um, which is rocksteadymusicschool.com. Um, I wrote a book about the Rocksteady uh, methods of teaching and, and how we came across them. You can find that on rocksteadybook.uk. And there's a blog that um, I was keeping very up to date with uh, before I got <laughs> very into this uh, this new venture, um, but that's marksremarks.com. Um, and you can look at there and, and see some blogs and things like that, or feel free to find me on LinkedIn or, or however, just say hello. Fantastic. Well, we'll we will of course link to link to those in the show notes. Uh, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. And I look forward to seeing how you progress with this idea. Um, everybody, thanks so much for listening. All the show notes, as I say, will be can be found at jamiegreen.co forward slash podcast. And until not, next time, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Just before you go, I have a quick request. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take 30 seconds to add a review on iTunes. 
This podcast is an experiment, and your support will really mean a lot to me and help to keep me going. Thank you.